Dear congregation, for the reading of Scripture tonight, I would like to turn to Revelation chapter 22. Uh, Again, I know it says in the bulletin, Psalm 102, but I thought it fitting to read uh, the chapter that has our text in it for tonight. So let's turn to Revelation chapter 22, the very last chapter of the Bible. Revelation chapter 22 and verse 1. Then he showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its street, and of the Lamb, in the middle of its street, period. On either side of the river was the tree of life, bearing twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. There will no longer be any curse, and the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his bondservants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. And there will no longer be any night, and they will not have need of the light of a lamp, nor the light of the sun, because the Lord God will illumine them, and they will reign forever and ever. And he said to me, These words are faithful and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, sent his angel to show to his bondservants the things which must soon take place. And behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who heeds the words of the prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed me these things. But he said to me, Do not do that. I am a fellow servant of yours and of your brethren, the prophets, and of those who heed the words of this book. Worship God. And he said to me, Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the one who does wrong still do wrong, and the one who is filthy still be filthy. And let the one who is righteous still practice righteousness, and the one who is holy still keep himself holy. Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me, to render to every man according to what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter by the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs and the sorcerers, and the immoral persons, and the murderers, and the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices lying. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, Come. And let the one who hears say, Come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who wishes take the water of life without cost. I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues which are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the the book of this prophecy, God will take away his part from the tree of life and from the holy city which are written in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Yes, I am coming quickly. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus 
be with all. Amen. Well, congregation, I realize that it's not the first Lord's Day of the new year, but with all the different things that were happening in the church and my own arrival at this time, uh, this is the first opportunity I've had then to preach a New Year's sermon. On Old Year's night, we reflected on the end of the old year. And we used the end of the old year to consider the time that we have here. And, and, and we thought about the end and what it leads us to think about and to meditate upon. But tonight we want to think about the new year. We want to think about the new year and to ask, how shall we begin? How can we begin this new year? And perhaps a better question isn't, how should we begin? But with whom should we begin? With whom should we begin? There's so much from from our perspective, isn't there? There's so much uncertainty, right? We don't know what's around the next bend or over the next hill. We don't even know what's an hour from now, much less a week or a month. So there's so much uncertainty. So when we think about beginning the new year, wouldn't it be wonderful, congregation, if we could begin the new year with someone who's already been there? with someone who already knows every detail of that new year. 2022 lies open before him. Just like this this book here lies open before me. He sees the end from the beginning. In fact, congregation, if we can do a little theology this evening, you know that when we think about the attributes of God, we say that God is eternal. We know that God uh, is not limited by any space. Right? He's, he's omnipresent or everywhere present. Remember that word, omnipresent. He's everywhere. He's not limited by space. God's knowledge is not limited either. Right? There's no limit to God's knowledge. He's omniscient. Again, remember that word, omniscience, omniscient. He has all knowledge. He knows everything. He knows the end, the future. He knows the past. Think about this now. God even knows what might have been. Right? God doesn't just know what actually happened. He knows what might have been. Now that's just mind-boggling to us, of course. But that's God, right? He's so far above us. He's so transcendent. There's no limit to God's knowledge. He's omniscient. But now this evening, congregation, we confess that God is not... He's not limited by space, but neither is he limited by time. Remember, uh, congregation, remember that God is not just everlasting. It's not just that God was always in the past and his, he always continue, will continue on into the future, right? But God is outside of time. Now again, you could say, well, preacher, explain that a little more. I can't explain that any more than you can, all right? It's impossible for us to think of anything except duration, right? And the passage of one moment to the next. But congregation, with God, everything is spread out before Him. Just like, a, like, like children, when you, have a, when you play a game board, right? When you have a game of Monopoly or whatever it may be, it's all spread out before you, right? You see all sides of it. 
And in the same way you can think of God, that everything is spread out before Him. The past and all the way into the future. And God is outside of that. And that's what we mean when we say God is eternal. He's not limited by time like we are. God is eternal. And that's why I can say tonight that God has already been to 2022. He's already there. It's, it's spread out before Him. He sees every detail of your life, dear friend. Every detail of your life, God knows it in exact detail. Now, congregation, that's why I go back to this question, how should we begin 2022? And that the better question is, with whom shall we begin? Because when we begin 2022 with an eternal God, we take the hand of one who's already been there. And children, even, even the very young children, when you walked on the parking lot today, right? When you came walking in and... and uh, some of you older folks should probably do this too. You take the hand of somebody else, right? Because it's slippery, right? There's patches of ice. And what do you do, children, when you begin to slip, right? You reach up. And isn't that kind of where we are, friends, as we, as we stand at the beginning of 2022? We, we sense that we're on a slippery place, aren't we? And we need the hand of one who's already been there, who can hold us and who can carry us forward. Now, I would like then to begin 2022 by looking into the, the, looking into the, the, the history of this world with the cover peeled back, as it were. Now, what book of the Bible can we go to where we can see that? Where we can see the history of the world, and yet we see it as God sees it? Well, that's the book of Revelation. So some of you might ask for my text this morning or this evening. My text, congregation, is the whole book of Revelation. The whole book of Revelation. And so we're going to move very rapidly. Obviously, we have to. But really, I want you to see uh, by this sort of uh, flyover of the book of Revelation, I want you to see 2022 from this perspective. I want you to see it, in a sense, as God sees it. So let's begin this flyover of the book of Revelation. Now you know in the very beginning of Revelation, and I'm not going to say anything about that, you have the letters to the seven churches. But then the apocalyptic, and there's a word for you, right? The, the more symbolic, all the symbols that you see in the book of Revelation doesn't begin really until you come to chapter 4. So in your Bible then, if you would take that and turn to chapter 4, you see what I'm going to call the opening scene. Well, let me back up a minute. Before I look at chapter 4, let me tell you the text. The text this morning is from chapter 22 that we read. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. And the reason I take that as a text this evening, congregation, is because that's really the sum of the entire book of Revelation. The supremacy of Jesus Christ. In fact, that really, congregation, Remember when we, when we had the sermons on 1 Peter, I said you could think of 1 Peter as hope for sufferers. Well, here's a little summary statement then of the book of Revelation. The victory or the supremacy of Jesus Christ. The victory of Jesus Christ. 
or the supremacy of Jesus Christ. And that's really what you see in that text. I am the Alpha, the beginning, and the Omega, the end. The first and the last, the beginning and the end. So that's the text. But again, we'll look at the whole book of Revelation this evening. Now before I... Before I... uh, Well, let's look at, at Revelation 4. At Revelation chapter 4 then, we have this opening scene. And we have this introduction then to the rest of the book. Because in chapter 4, we are given the, uh, the, uh, to look. And again, remember I said this is going to be history with the cover peeled back, as it were. And now you can look. God gives you a vision into the throne room of God. Right? You see chapter 4 and verse 2. Immediately I was in the Spirit. And behold, a throne was standing in heaven and one sitting on the throne. And now the rest of chapter 4 is going to explain and and give you more detail about what that throne is and who is sitting on that throne. But we then come to chapter 5. And in chapter 5 we have an additional uh, aspect of this throne given us. And that is there is a book. There is a book. And you see that in verse 1 of chapter 5. I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a book written inside and on the back, sealed up with seven seals. Congregation, here you have a book. And it was unheard of in those days to have a a, a scroll that was written on both sides. That was not something they did back then. So this is highly unusual. And what it signifies to us is that this book has a lot of stuff in it. It is a full book. Why? Because, congregation, this book is the history of God's decree. This This is the history of the world. This is, this is the greatest history book ever found. This is the history of God's plan. And it's sealed up with seven seals, which means nobody can get into it. It's locked up under these seven seals. But congregation, I said to you this, this evening, we want to begin 2022. We want to look into that book. We want to see what's in that book. Are you with me this evening? Do you want to see within that book? We want to see in that book, congregation. How can we get into that book? Look at verse 4, chapter 5 and verse 4. Then I began to weep greatly because no one was found worthy to open the book or to look into it. So already we have this terrible problem. The book that we want to get into is locked up. But praise God, verse 6, chapter 5 and verse 6, And I saw between the throne with the four living creatures and the elders a lamb standing as if slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each one holding a harp, and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And congregation, if you're using the the pew Bible that I have up here, it's very useful because it gives you these headings, right? And you can see in chapter 6, now the Lamb of God, the one who had been slain, begins to open this book. He begins to unlock these seals. And so we have the first cycle now, why did I say cycle? You see that in the, 
In the notes here, I have these cycles. You could also think of them as a scene. Okay? They're called cycles because what we're going to find is that these cycles take us from the first coming of Christ to his second coming. This is the history that is given us then in, as, these, as these seven seals are broken open on this book. Then as we have these seven trumpets, then in cycle three, but in each of these different cycles, the author of Revelation is going to take us back to the beginning, which is the first coming of Christ, Christmas. And he's going to take us through to the end of history, to the end of time. So it begins with this first seal. You'll notice that it's a rider on a white horse. The second seal, and now I'm in chapter 6, is war. The third is famine. Then death, the martyrs, the terror. Right? And you have these seals that are broken off this book. And we are given to see the beginning and the end. Now as we move through these different cycles... I want, to, I want you to especially see what is the position of the church in these cycles and what is the position of Christ. Where is Christ and where is the church? Now, in the, as these seals are broken, you see the church in Revelation chapter 6 and verse 11. When the fifth seal is broken in chapter 6 and verse 11, and there was given to each of them a white robe, now these are the, the souls of those who had been slain, the martyrs. And they were told that they should rest for a little while longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who were to be killed, even as they had been, would be completed also. So we have in here the seven seals. The church is a martyr. The church is a martyr. Now Christ in this cycle is the beginning. And you see that in chapter 5. If you back up to chapter 4, well, that's what I read, right? Because he's the one who opens this book. He's the one who tears off these seals and allows us to look into this book and to see what is written there. Now you also see that these seals, that, that's what's written in these books, is one of judgment. There is judgment that is poured out on the earth at each of the opening of these seals until finally we come to the end and you see that in Revelation 6 and verse 15. Then the kings of the earth and the great men and the commanders and the rich and the strong and every slave and every free man hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And they said to the mountains and to the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come and who is able to stand. Then... You have chapter 7, which again you can read. And then in chapter 8, you have the 7th, the very last seal. And in verse seven, and chapter 7 and verse 15, you see the end of the righteous. The previous was the end of the wicked. They're calling for the rocks and the mountains to hide them. But in chapter 7 and verse 15, For this reason they are before the throne of God, and they serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will spread his tabernacle over them. And they will hunger no longer, nor thirst any more, nor will the sun beat down on them, nor any heat. For the Lamb in the center of the throne will be their shepherd and will guide them to springs of the water of life. And God will wipe away every tear from
from their eyes. Then the seventh seal is, is tore open and this cycle comes to an end. So again, congregation, what we saw in this book was from the birth of Christ, his coming into this world and establishing his kingdom here to the end. When the wicked are calling for the mountains to fall on them and the righteous are worshiping in glory forever with Christ. Now, that's that first cycle. And I think, congregation, as you, as you think about this, what we've read there, what sounds rather peculiar perhaps to us, imagine reading this as a person under persecution. Imagine reading this as one of those Christians in the, in the time when this was written who was facing death because they profess allegiance to Jesus Christ. Don't you think you would have read this differently now? When you see how God is going to pour out, at, at each of these seals being opened, God is going to pour out His judgments on the wicked. And He's going to protect and provide for His people. That's the message that this is intended for. And so we have to read it from that perspective. Well, let's hasten on then to this next cycle of the seven trumpets. Because now we're going to go back to the beginning again. Back to the beginning of Christmas, when Christ was born in this earth. And we have seven trumpets in chapter 8 through 11. We have these seven trumpets which blow. In chapter 9, you have the fifth. At the end of chapter 9, the sixth. And then you have a bit of an interlude there again in chapter 10 and 11. And then finally, at the end of chapter 11, you have the seventh trumpet. Now these trumpets are used to announce. They're, they're, they're like heralds. And they're announcing judgments upon the people. And again, as you read through these different uh, uh, trumpets being blown, you'll see that uh, horrific judgments are being poured out upon the wicked. And these trumpets are, are blasting out. They're announcing, now this judgment Another blast, and now this judgment will fall upon them. And all this happening, congregation, between the first and the second coming of Christ, when it certainly didn't seem visible, people didn't seem to see these things. And yet, in reality, this is what was taking place. Well, in these seven trumpets, you can see the position of the church in chapter 11. In chapter 11 and verse 7, you'll see that in these seven trumpets, the church is overcome. Overcome. Look at chapter 11. Uh, chapter 11 and verse 7. When they have finished their testimony, the beast that comes up out of the abyss will make war with them and overcome them and kill them. So again, the position of the church in this cycle is one of being overcome. And what is the position of Christ? We'll then move down to chapter 11 and verse 15. And you see the seventh angel sounds their, uh, his trumpet. And there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And he will reign forever and ever. Well, that again then, congregation, is the end of history. That is the second coming of Christ. That is the end of this second cycle. And that's why you see here Christ triumphant. The church is overcome, but Christ is triumphant. Let's keep moving. Chapter 12 begins another cycle. This is the, 
the vision that John was given of this woman who is about to give birth. You see uh, chapter 12 and verse 1, a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet and on her head a crown of 12 stars and she was with child and she cried out being in labor and in pain to give birth. So this picture then of this woman about to give birth. And I think now, congregation, you can see more clearly the beginning, which is what we celebrated on Christmas Day. That this woman is about to give birth to a child. And then you see what happens. And congregation, who thinks this way about Christmas? Again, remember I told you that the cover is peeled back. We're seeing history as God sees it now. And on Christmas Day, when we celebrate the coming of Jesus into this world, the book of Revelation in chapter 12 is telling us what really happened. What really happened is this woman born, she's being in, in, in labor, and the great dragon is, is right there ready to consume this child and to put an end to the decree of God's redemption, to God's plan of salvation. And again, we can't read that whole thing, but on in chapter 12 and verse 17, you can see that the church in this cycle is at war. Chapter 12 and verse 17, so the dragon was enraged with the woman and went off to make war with the rest of her children who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. That is the position of the church. And uh, you can see a similar uh, statement in chapter 13 and verse 7. It was also given to him, now this is speaking about the beast, to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And authority over every tribe and people and tongue and nation was given to him. So the church in this cycle is at war and even losing the war. And what about Christ then? In this cycle we have Christ and his position in chapter 14 and verse 14. Chapter 14 and verse 14. Then I looked, and behold, a white cloud. And sitting on the cloud was one like a son of man, holding or having a golden crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. And congregation, the imagery here is that Christ is now going to take that sickle and he's going to thrust it into the earth. And he's going to reap the harvest. And he's going to gather his people in and he's going to cast the wicked into eternal condemnation. And you have that then in the very last verse of that cycle, chapter 14 and verse 20. And the winepress was trodden outside the city, and blood came out from the winepress up to the horse's bridles for a distance of 200 miles. Now again, this is not to be understood literally, right? This is symbolism here. In other words, the wicked are destroyed so terribly that their blood came up to the horse's bridles, again, showing the complete victory of Christ over the wicked. But that is a picture of the last judgment. I think especially in this cycle, you see more clearly, don't you, that you have the first coming of Christ with the birth of this child and the second coming of Christ when Christ thrusts in that sickle and reaps the harvest of the earth and brings them to judgment. Let's push on then to the fourth cycle where we have seven bulls. Seven bulls. And this begins in chapter 15 
where you, again you see this, then I saw another sign in heaven, right? This signals to us that now this is a new cycle, a new scene. Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous. And now you have these bowls that are poured out on the world. And these bowls, what's in these bowls? Well, these bowls are full of the judgments of God, again, to be poured out upon the wicked. And you can read in, in verse 15, 16, and 17, these bowls being poured out. And what is the, what is the condition then of the church in this cycle? Well, we see the church in chapter 17 and verse 6. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints. Now the woman there, if you look previously, is Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. And of course, Babylon there means Rome, the city of Rome and all that it stands for. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints. So here too, the church is a martyr. But I don't want to focus on that this day, in this cycle, because the, the, we're giving another vision of the church. In chapter 19, in chapter 18, Babylon falls, but in chapter 19, we see a different picture of the church. Also in this same cycle, in chapter 19 and verse 7, now we see that the church is a wife, a bride. In chapter 19 and verse 7, let us rejoice and be glad and give the glory to him. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. So you have the Lamb, a husband, and the church, a bride. Now you see, don't you, that even though these cycles are, are taking us from the birth of Christ to the second coming of Christ, they're also kind of growing in their intensity, aren't they? They're kind of progressively getting more intense. And here you see for the first time that the church is in a better position, right? Now the church, for all that it has suffered and all that it has undergone, is now the bride, the lamb's wife. So seven bowls. And what about the wicked? Under these seven bowls, we, as you can imagine, it is not good. In Revelation chapter 19 and verse 20, and the beast was seized, and with him the false prophet who performed the signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image, these two were thrown alive into the lake of fire, which burns with brimstone. And the rest were killed with the sword which came from the mouth of him who sat on the horse. And all the birds were filled with their flesh. So congregation, you see the end of the wicked. They are utterly and completely destroyed. There's nothing left of them. The only thing that's left here is the lamb and his wife living in glory forever and forever. Again, I, I hope you see that the cyclical nature of this book, how it keeps cycling through these different, uh, well, through the, through the same period, time period of history. Well, then we come to chapter 20 and 22. And now we begin again in chapter 20. Back to the beginning again, back to Christmas. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding the key of the abyss, and a great chain in his hand, and he laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil, and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. How many of us think of Christmas in those terms? How many of us think about the angel coming down from heaven, grabbing hold of the dragon, the serpent, Satan, and binding him 
for a thousand years. But again, this is how we're beginning in this last cycle. Satan is bound. And then you'll notice also at the end of verse 3, chapter 20 and verse 3, he is for a very short time released. After these things, he must be released for a short time. And what is the church under this, in this cycle then? The church is described for us then in, verse, or in chapter 21. And now, of course, these uh, verses are so familiar to us, aren't they? So beautiful. Chapter 21 describes the marriage between the, the, uh, the lamb and his wife. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. And by the way, congregation, that reference to the sea, this is not a, a reference to a nice thing, right? This is the sea with its darkness and its, its sinister. What's lurking beneath that deep, dark sea? It's something ominous and foreboding. It's, it's not nice, but there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. Now you see, congregation, the church in all its resplendent glory, just as when we stand here in this church and when those doors in the back go open and the bride steps forward in all her beauty and all her glory with her white dress on and she comes walking down the aisle. This is now what we're seeing the church. The church is coming to meet her groom, adorned for, for her husband. This is the church in this last cycle. And what is Christ? Well, then we turn to our text. I am the Alpha and the Omega. And wasn't that the case, congregation, through each one of these cycles? Christ is the beginning, and He's the end. The church suffers. The church undergoes many different things. But in every single one of these cycles, Christ is the beginning and the end. The first and the last, the Alpha and the Omega. Well, congregation, there's the, the flyover, as it were, of the book of Revelation. And that's, uh, that's uh, so, it gives us such a perspective, doesn't it? When we, when we see history with the cover pulled back like that, when we see what's really taking place, we don't look with our physical eyes, but we see the history of the world as God sees it. And I think I, I, I represented to you before history in terms of this antithesis, right? With the kingdom of darkness warring against the kingdom of light, the seed of the serpent fighting against the seed of the woman. They're locked in an eternal struggle. And the victory in the book of Revelation is given us that it's certain because Christ is the beginning and the end. He will gain the victory. Maybe we could say that the book of Revelation is so simple. Jesus wins. That's all. Jesus gains the victory. Again, there's so much in the book of Revelation that's very difficult to understand. But congregation, in one sense, the book of Revelation is the easiest book to understand. Because when you read this as a persecuted Christian, again, which is somewhat difficult for us because we're not persecuted like that. But when you read it as if you stepped into the shoes of a persecuted Christian, you see the victories of Jesus Christ. And you take courage. And so that brings me then to my point of application here, congregation. 
And I just want to ask you that question as I gave it to you there. What does 2022 look like now? Remember we started the sermon saying, with whom can we begin the new year? There's so much uncertainty. But congregation, isn't it the case this evening that so much of that uncertainty has been removed? Because when we look in the book of Revelation, when we look into the book of God with those seven seals, and when we see how God is administering His kingdom on this earth, then it's almost as if there's no uncertainty anymore. Because we hold the hand of one who's already been to 2022. He's already been there. He's already seen the ups, the downs. He's seen the great dragon, Satan, as he seeks to to, to drag the people of God down to hell with him. And he's shown us tonight the victory of Jesus Christ. How many times did we read it? And he shall reign forever and forever. And under all the different symbols, we see the same basic message. That Christ is the victor. How does 2022 look from this perspective? How does 2022 look with these glasses on, congregation? How does 2022 look with the glasses of faith? With the glasses the book of Revelation gives us to see what the future holds for God's people. In 2022, there will be elections. In 2022, the COVID pandemic will continue. In 2022, there will be new shutdowns, new mandates. The government will say this, the government will do that. Most of it we'll probably disagree with. Some of it we might agree with. The congregation through it all. I hope that you'll be able to see it through this perspective. Through these cycles that were given us here. You know the prophet Isaiah, he said, he said in his prophecy, Do not fear what they fear, nor be afraid, but sanctify the Lord of hosts himself, and let him be your fear, let him be your dread. Now those are powerful words for us tonight, congregation, because God has shown us what history is. He's shown us what 2022 will be. And he says to us tonight, do not fear what they fear. Secular people don't have this understanding. Secular people just see Congress. They just see Joe Biden. They just see the CDC. They just see OSHA. They see NATO. The United Nations, I mean, the United Nations, NATO, I'm not sure if that's still around yet or not. But anyways, they see these things, right? What is it all? It's a trifle. It's dust in the balance. In 2022 congregation, there's only one who sits on the throne. He has all these things in his hands. And the prophet Isaiah, not me, the prophet Isaiah says to you tonight, don't fear what they fear. Unless, of course, congregation, you're not a Christian. Unless you're not on the Lamb's side unless you're not a believer, unless you've not washed your robes white in the blood of the Lamb this evening, then of course you should be terrified. And your terror should drive you to the Lamb to take refuge under His wings. But congregation, for those, for those of us who are Christians, what a blessing to see 2022 from this perspective. 
My second point of application is our privileges. And really, this is just the first application all over again. Congregation, this is our privilege. This is the privilege of Christians not to live in the fear of what normal, of what secular people fear. There's a story I want to tell you. There was, at the end of World War II, you know World War II was, was so widespread over so many different areas, but I believe it was somewhere in, in Finland, in, in the north of, of Europe there, there, was, there, were, there were battles still taking place. Even though the, the end of the war had come, Hitler had committed suicide, the surrender had been signed, the war was completely over, and yet these people in these countries over here continued to tremble in fear and terror under the Nazi regime. They didn't realize that the surrender had already taken place. And they continued to fight and they continued to tremble. Even though the Nazi was a defeated army. And it was only a matter of time before they all went home. And congregation isn't that way with us sometimes. That we live in fear of things that have already been defeated. We live below our privileges. Congregation, the privilege of, of you as a Christian tonight is that Christ is the victor. And He's already gained that victory. God's already been to 2022. He's already gained the victory. The enemy's already been put to death. And we are locked in time, right? And we're looking forward into 2022. We're about to enter it. But God, as it were, extends His hand to us and says, here, let me lead you. Let me take you by the hand and lead you. And this is your privilege. This is your privilege, congregation. And what a pity it is if we live like those people still living under the Nazi regime, still living under Nazi rule and not realizing that the victory has already been won. The surrender has already been signed. Hitler is dead. Satan has been defeated. Christ is king forever and forever. And if we live here trembling and shaking in fear because of the world's chaos, the ups and the downs, the elections, the pandemic and this and the other thing, we live below our privileges. And so I press that upon you this evening. To think about your privilege as a Christian. To live without fear. Now I want to close this sermon. This is a, a song that, that is sung. Now I, I can't give you the, the tune, obviously, but I can give you the words. Because I think it captures so beautifully in poetic form what I've been trying to what I've been trying, or what the book of Revelation brings to us. So let me read this to you. I've been reading in the Bible about the ending of the age. And one thing that's for certain, it grows closer every day. But I'm not concerned about the way it's going to end. Because I've read the back of the book. And we win. And the next verse. Now we all want to be winners in the games of life we play. And friends, since we're just sinners, we've already lost the race. But Jesus' blood can take my sin and throw it in the deep blue sea. He can put an end to my last place living and give me the victory. And the chorus, I've read the back of the book and we win. No more living in darkness. We'll be living at home with Him. You see, there's no need to worry about it if you're born again. I've read the back of the book and we win. That's the message tonight, congregation. 
May God bless it to us. Amen. Almighty God and merciful Father, we've read the back of the book tonight. We've seen the victory of Jesus Christ and all those who are in him by faith. And yet we confess, Lord, that we often live trembling and in fear in this world. And Lord, we repent of that this evening. We lay it at your feet and pray that you would forgive us this sin. And that this evening we would look full into the privilege that you have given us to know that the enemy is a conquered enemy. His doom is certain. And we are victors. And that it simply remains for us to live out the remaining part of our life on this earth until we shall be ushered into that victory which can never be taken from us. Lord, help us to confess the supremacy of Christ over all of our life this evening and never to let it go. And though the world may shake, Though the mountains may be removed, yet, O Lord, we know that you are sitting on the throne of heaven, that your sovereignty can never be compromised, can never be lessened, it can never be removed. And you shall gain the victory, and we shall gain the victory in Christ, and we shall reign forever and forever in a new heaven and in a new earth. Lord, I pray that you would give each one of us this vision this evening. And that when we step out of these doors, when we wake up Monday morning, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, we would go forth into this world with this vision at our back, that we are conquerors, more than conquerors, through Jesus Christ, who loved, himself, who loved us and gave himself on our behalf. Lord, I pray it for young and old this evening. May you bless us and remember us in your mercy. We ask these things in the strong name of our victorious Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.